of a long and bitter struggle to win the loyalty of his new subjects. In their eyes, he was an illegitimate usurper, with no right to be king. Henry did himself few favours in this respect. Described by the contemporary Burgundian chronicler Jean Molinet as a fine ornament of the Breton court, he had adopted French manners, worshipped Breton saints, and spoke with a marked accent. He also lacked the natural charisma and flamboyance of his Yorkist predecessors. Introverted, paranoid, and infinitely suspicious, he was arguably the most private of all the Tudor monarchs. He may have had good cause to be watchful. Yorkist rebels and claimants were everywhere, but Henry was of a naturally reticent disposition. He guarded his money and possessions as closely as his secrets, and would soon gain a reputation as a miser. The contrast to the charismatic, open-handed Edward IV, whose memory his subjects still revered, could not have been greater. But Henry Tudor also had a number of attributes that would stand him in good stead as king. He was a patient and sharp observer, and, well trained by his uncle, always remained cool under pressure. Conscientious, methodical and shrewd, his vast ability was acknowledged by his contemporaries. According to the Italian humanist Polidore Virgil, who met the king on many occasions, Henry was extremely attractive in appearance. His face was cheerful, especially when he was speaking. Of a little above average height, Henry had a regal bearing and was slender, strong and blue-eyed, but with a sallow complexion. He had a cast in his left eye, which meant that while one eye looked at you, the other searched for you. This made his gaze even more disconcerting for those upon whom it was fixed. Despite spending so much time among military men, Henry had lived a relatively chaste life, and only had one bastard son, Roland de Velville, who was conceived during his exile in Brittany. Perhaps not surprisingly for the son of Lady Margaret Beaufort, who was renowned for her intense piety, Henry was observed to be a most zealous supporter of religion— daily taking part with great devotion in divine service. Although piety was expected of a king, particularly one who needed to erase the stain of usurpation, Henry's faith seems to have been genuine. Virgil revealed, To those whom he knew were worthy priests, he often gave alms secretly, in order that they might pray for his soul. Henry VII has long had the reputation of a doer man, but he had a more light-hearted side. His household accounts reveal that he was fond of playing cards, even though he regularly suffered heavy losses, most notably in June 1492, when he was obliged to raid the royal coffers for £40, equivalent to almost £20,000 today, in order to pay off his creditor. Physically fit from his years of campaigning, he held regular jousts and liked to play tennis. The latter was a particular favourite with the king, and was commended by a contemporary expert on courtly refinement as a noble sport which is very suitable for the courtier to play, for this shows how well he is built physically, how quick and agile he is in every member. Later in his reign, Henry employed two professional players to act as coaches. Tudor tennis, or Real tennis, was very different to the more common lawn tennis that was invented during the Victorian era. It was played in an enclosed court, and the ball could be hit against the walls, as well as over the net. The ball was also harder, heavier, and less bouncy than its modern counterpart. 
It was made from tightly packed wool bound with tape and then covered in another tight layer of wool. The king also employed a fool called Patch, paid the foolish Duke of Lancaster for entertaining him, and rewarded minstrels, lute players, pipers, dancers, and a group of singing children. But if Henry knew how to enjoy himself, he never lost sight of how much the various revelries cost. All of the expenses were carefully noted in his accounts, and he personally checked them, adding his counter-signature next to each entry. He also deplored waste, and even though he was fond of the pastime himself, introduced heavy penalties for gambling. Servants and apprentices were specifically banned from playing card games except at Christmas. Few heeded the new legislation, however, and gambling became so commonplace at court and in aristocratic houses across the kingdom that certain officials were given responsibility for the profits that were generated.